0: According to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the United States, affecting around 40 million adults. This anxiety could range from anything about being anxious about an event that's happening with you or your family, and you become overwhelmed with it, with the anxiety. It could be a panic attack which is not necessarily connected to event an event suddenly the fight or flight inside of you which is there for a reason you know you come around a corner and a dog snarling at you your fight and flight kicks in you got you, you act a little quicker you're a little stronger you get that adrenaline and for me it's always flight i'm a flight guy when something happens i'm like i'm out there are people who are fight guys and if you startle them, you're in trouble because they'll just like boom. That's their that's their fight and flight experience. I was in this hallway a couple of weeks ago, and I don't know if Pastor Jonathan's here, he's one of our pastors on staff, but he's hiding in the hallway. Of course, he's hiding in the hallway. And I walk by and he just steps out and goes, Bleh. It's not like really startling. And my mind goes, That's Jonathan, don't freak out. And my body goes, Ah. And I'm like, I knew all along it was him. But just that's what happened in me. And when you have a panic attack and some of you may deal with them, it's that fight or flight getting out of control. And you, your mind may get involved. I'm having a heart attack. I'm dying. I can't breathe. Your mind might get involved, but it is that fight or flight that just is triggered. And that's part of the anxiety disorder that's there. The They also say this is the anxiety and disorder uh, and uh, excuse me, the anxiety and oh, where am I at? This is the anxiety and Uh, Depression Association of America also say that it is highly treatable. That anxiety that 40 million Americans deal with is highly treatable. And I want to say that I believe the passages that we are going to cover today are really going to help us in anxiety. The Bible says the most common command in the Bible is do not be afraid. Directly, 100 times at least. Directly. In other words, the Bible says 100 times, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. And then in some way or another, maybe not those exact words, but in some way or another, 400 times, it tells us not to be afraid. That's far more than any other command. I mean, way off the charts more. So God knows our propensity to be afraid. God knows our propensity to be anxious. God knows that we struggle with these things we worry about things we can't change. We, we worry about our family. We worry about our kids. We worry about our grandkids. We worry about our grandparents. We worry about what's going to happen to us and whether something bad's going to happen to us. We just seem to worry. So here's what I would like to do. I want to cover some passages in the Bible about anxiety and God's promises to help us overcome it. Then we want to look at six things Jesus says in his teaching in this passage Luke 22 through 34 on anxiety. All right. And we'll get into these passages pretty quick. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. This is the one that most of you are going to know about anxiety. It says it's got a command that starts it. Be anxious about nothing. 40 million Americans are struggling with anxiety disorder. And the Bible tells us don't be anxious about anything. But it doesn't leave it there. And I'm glad. It's not just like, don't be anxious and then walk away. Well, thank you very much. It says, don't be anxious about anything or about, uh, for nothing. But everything in prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So he says, if you're dealing with anxiety, then you want to pray. And if you don't know what to pray, when you're just feeling anxious and things are off the charts, and and you don't know what to pray for, my encouragement is to pray the Lord's Prayer. And to pray it as a model. In other words, don't just say it, but actually think about every section. Our Father who are, are in heaven art in heaven that, hey, we we have a father who cares for us and loves us in heaven. and We thank him for that. Holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. We just take each one of these and we break it down. Forgive me, you know, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who trespass against us. Give us this day our daily bread. You just kind of break it down and then pray for the things you're anxious about. And be thankful, it says, because when we are thankful, it helps us to get things into perspective. Thank you, God, for all of my kids and the one that's causing me fits. You know, thank you for all my children and the one that's stressing me out right now, God. And just look at things in your life that you can be thankful for. And God tells us with this prayer, with the supplication, which is asking God specifically with Thanksgiving, that look at what happens. It says the peace of God who surpasses all understanding. God's going to give you a peace that goes beyond understanding will guard your hearts and your minds. It'll guard your hearts, your emotions, the center of who you are and your mind if you will go to him with these things. This ought to be our general, this ought to be what happens. We get anxious and, and we ought to immediately go, I need to go pray. I need to go thank God. I need to ask him for help because God's promised us that he'll give us peace in the midst of that. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus says these words. Again, you guys are familiar with it, but maybe not considering worry and anxiety or depression. By the way, There's a lot of people who are depressed in the Bible. I heard someone say one time, if you're really a genuine Christian, you won't be depressed. I'm like, you haven't read the Psalms, buddy. Because there's a lot of depressed people writing Psalms. Go back and read the Psalms. They're not all like, oh, joyous, there are those. But there's also those that are like, why is my life so bad? And, And why is my soul so downcast? They dealt with the same things that we deal with. This passage is the same. Jesus said in Matthew 11, 28 and 30, come unto me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden. Now, what's he talking about when he says, you who, who labor and are heavy laden? He's not talking about those who are, you know, out working. He's not you're talking about your day job. He's not saying, come unto me, all of you who are digging ditches. He says, all of you who labor, meaning something emotionally, something mentally is happening to you. You are laboring. You are stressed. You are distraught. You are depressed. You are anxious. Come unto me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden. And then he says this, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly at heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When you come to Christ, if it's really hard to be a Christian, you're not doing it right. And I hear people say to me every so often, it's so hard, so hard to be a Christian. It, it shouldn't be, all right? There's something you're doing that's wrong. You need to figure out how to give your life to Christ and take the easy burden that he has. I'm not saying you're not asked to do difficult things. That's two different things. Being hard to be a Christian and asked to do difficult things are two different things. And God will ask us to do difficult things, okay? Just out of clarity. Jeremiah 17, seven through eight says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose help is the Lord, For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters who spreads out its roots in the river and will not fear when, when heat comes, but its leaf shall be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor cease from yielding fruit. So this has, this anxiety comes from an event. There's drought. And so people have a tendency to go, my crop's not going to be good. What am I going to do? It's a year of drought. And God says, even when there's a cause for your anxiety, because sometimes we just don't know why we're anxious. We're feeling anxious. We don't know why. Sometimes we go, I got a good reason. But you could trust in God as well. And, and God will help you to be fruitful because that's what our God does. couple more quick and we'll be done. Second, uh, we'll get to the text. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, we won't be done for a while. 2 uh, <laughs> Timothy 1.7 says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. If you're fearful now, it's not from God. Because God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. It may come from yourself. may come from the enemy throwing fiery darts. He's, got, he's kind of getting into your thoughts, kind of get your mind on fire. But it's not from God. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Don't forget the love part. We talk about the power of God to overcome anything, but but love, we're to love one another, and that's really going to help us. Psalms 34, 4, I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and he delivered me from all of my fears. That's a testimony from someone that had fears, and they tell us that they sought God, and God heard him and delivered him. And then uh, John 14, 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give you. It's like the peace without understanding in Philippians. Jesus says, I'm going to give you a peace that this world cannot give you. And, I'll, and it, it goes on to say, Let your heart not be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now, I, I have a question. Have, have you ever had that peace? I call it a strange peace because events are happening, you should not have peace but you have it. Have you ever had that strange piece in your life? I, I have, especially in 2011, September 2011, my wife was diagnosed with, with lung cancer. And as we went further, it was stage four and the initial treatment worked for a while and then it got worse. And my wife would say to me, I know it's gonna be bad news. We'd be going to the doctor for another you know, test to see what the test said. And she said, I know it'll be bad news. Why? Because I feel that strange peace, she would say. And I felt it all along during that whole experience. And I believed, and so did she in the beginning, that God was going to heal her. We believed that. We just believed. I thought, what better thing for God to do than to heal a pastor's wife? I mean, this will be fantastic. But God had other plans, and he healed her ultimately by taking her home. And she trusted in Christ the entire time, even facing death with a strange peace. That, that comes from Christ. And you can find that strange peace when there are circumstances happening, but your total and complete trust is in God. Now let's look at what Jesus says. So Jesus gives us six things as he breaks it down, and he teaches through this section of Scripture. So it's in Luke 12, which starts in verse 22. And he said to his disciples, note that these promises that are here are for disciples. These are people that he's their teacher, You want to do what he says. You want to learn more about him and do what he says. That's the description of a disciple. You're a student. You want to learn from him. You want to be obedient. Uh, Then he said to his disciples, Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and your body is more than clothing. The first thing Jesus does is make sure that we have the right priorities. That we aren't running around in life going, where am I going to get my food and where am I going to get my clothing? And as I look around the room, I realize that's not the majority of you. There is a great number of people in the world that do worry daily about their clothes and their food. Uh, There's a a section of the world that lives below the poverty level. That's for most of us here. I think all of us, maybe. That's not us. But yet we do worry about things. We worry about different things. We worry about house payments and car payments and insurance payments. We, we worry about how we're gonna end up paying our bills. There's just things that we worry about. So know that your life is more, for, for us, we might change this a little bit. It's more than about the car you drive. It's more than about the house you have. It's more than about where you live or the stuff that you have. Change your priorities to know that our life is about God and living for Him and not supposed to be about this stuff. The second thing that he says is that you are of a great value to God. uh, Oftentimes, people will think that they're not very valuable to God. That God doesn't really like them because we know our sins. We know our thoughts. And it's easy for us to think God doesn't like us. But the Bible says that God demonstrated his love for you. While you were yet a sinner, he died for you. He did not die for you on your best day. You You don't get to pick a day and say, okay, God, take this day look at me just look at that day he died for you on your worst day, and demonstrated that he loves you greatly and you have a great value to God you have been created in his image the Bible says that male and female he created in his image so you have been created in the image of God and you have great value so Jesus says verse 24 consider the ravens and there's an interesting connection with the ravens in the Old Testament where ravens are considered as evil. And God, it could be that, and you can look that up later if you want to, but as if he's saying, even the evil ravens get taken care of by God. So consider the ravens. In Matthew, he uses sparrows, right? Because they're just so tiny. And he says that when a sparrow falls to the ground, God knows. But listen to what he says here. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them of how much more value are, are, are you than the birds. So God has a great, puts a greater value on you than the birds. But God doesn't make the birds go out and do really heavy lifting for their food. You know, they, they go out and look for whatever it is, berries or nuts or whatever it is that birds eat, worms, except for seagulls, which are the most annoying of birds who steal from you. They steal <laughs> to survive. But hey, we go out and we worry and we wring our hands and we work because, partially because we have to, right? That's part of the curse. You shall work for your, for the things that you have. But God takes care of the birds. You're of more value than them. God cares about them, you far more than he does them. And he cares about them, by the way. The Bible says that God knows the number of hairs on your head. And think about that. They change daily. God keeps up with it. The Bible says that God knows every tear, you have ever cried and that he has carried your sorrow and your grief. That's how much God cares about you. You're of a great value to God. And, and the third thing he says is that worry is ineffective. The ineffectiveness of worry. That we're worrying about things that we shouldn't be. I meant to put this in my notes and I didn't, so I just wanted to get I took a picture of this out of the uh, David Jeremiah Study Bible and I want to read it to you. And if I can, yeah, there we go. All right, so... Uh, Again, I love David Jeremiah, in his study Bible, he has this, he says, and I don't know where he gets these numbers are, or if he ever meant for these numbers to be real, but he's just kind of making a point, he says, 40% of the things that you worry about never happen. I don't know where he gets those numbers, but he's just making a point. 30% of worries are related to past matters, which are now beyond your control. 12% of worries have to do with health, even when you're not actually ill. And there is a large part of anxiety where people get really anxious about what the the, uh, disease they might have when they don't have it. 10% of our worries are about friends and neighbors and are not based in evidence or fact. It says uh, 12% of our worries are about, um, yeah, friends and neighbors. And then only 8% of our worries have some basis in reality. So 90% of the things that you worry about will never happen. And I think that's really true. I've said before that worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but you don't go anywhere. You're not really accomplishing anything positive when you worry. You, it may be a trigger and maybe that's why God gave us those concerns and those worries. But remember, people's health is greatly reduced by uh, stress. In fact, again, the, um, again, the, anxiety and depression uh, of America says that people with anxiety disorders are three to five times more likely to go to a doctor. One of the high, two of the highest comorbidities for COVID-19 are weight and stress, anxiety, because it affects you physically. When you are stressed, when you are anxious, it affects your immune system, so you can't fight things off as well. You end up they end up four to five times more likely. That's huge. It also says that they're six times more likely to be hospitalized for some kind of psychiatric disorder. So stress and anxiety is something you want to get out of your life for your health. So Jesus says it's ineffective, and we find that in verse 25. He says, And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to your statue? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious about the rest? So we worry about things, again, that... But we can't change. Uh, what what is the follow me on this one? What is the favorite height of someone who is five nine? Five ten. They hear it. Five ten. Five ten. What's the favorite height of someone who's 5'9 9 510 they hear ten? Five eleven. Right. We always <laughs> want to be a little taller. And guys understand that because we guys exaggerate our height. When I was young, I taught in boots, cowboy boots. And I was from New Mexico and people thought, well, this guy's kind of a cowboy from New Mexico. Not, eh, not at all. I, w- I only wore the boots because they had a two inch heel and made me a little over six foot. I was like, that's why I wore my boots, because I, I didn't make six foot, I wanted to. I, I was 5'11 and a quarter. And that quarter is really important to me. I was 5'11 and a quarter. but last time I went to the doctor, they measured me and I was 5'10. I'm like, what's happening to me? I'm the great shrinking Robert Furrow, I'm shrinking. But when I'm standing next to somebody and somebody tells me they're 5'11", and I'm looking down at them, I'm like, no, that's your favorite height. <laughs> that's not the actual height you are. That is your favorite height. So if we can't change by worrying, then we've got to figure out how to not worry about it. We've got to figure out how to pray and seek God when something's happening to us and around us that really cannot be changed. If it can be changed, we pray about it. We ask God to change it. The fourth thing that Jesus says about worry is that God is faithful to help those who are His. You, you help your children. You don't help the neighbor's children. You might help them, but you help your children far more than you help your neighbor's children. If you belong to God, then He's going to help you. So He says in verse 27, Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, of how much more will he clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? He's going he's gonna to take care of you because you belong to him. We'll see that here in just a moment, again, even more, that God takes care of those who are his. And if you've never invited Christ into your life, we're going to give you that opportunity at the end of our, our study today. You may think I'm okay. I'm a Christian because I go to church or I'm okay. I'm a good person, so I'm okay. But Jesus said you must be born again. Your spirit, when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, they died. Now, they didn't die physically until a while later. And they might not have died physically had they not ate the fruit, but they died spiritually the moment they ate it. And we have to have our spirits brought to life. That's why Jesus said those who worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth. And if your spirit isn't quickened, if you aren't born again, that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit, then you're not his child. We become his child by receiving Jesus and then we have care from him. Now, the fifth thing Jesus says is that God will provide for your needs. This is in verse 29. And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all of these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. You have a Father. You're different than the nations of the world. They seek after those things, but we as Christians are to live different. We are not to be living for the needs of this world. And far too many of us are. We're concerned about our bills. We're concerned about what we've got to do. When God says, no, I've got another plan for you. You you are, you are different. And your Father knows. The sixth thing that he said, I mean, I told, I might have told you six, we have seven, okay? The sixth thing that he says is to seek instead the kingdom of God. Instead of worrying about your own life, seek what God has for you. He says, but the king, but seek the kingdom of God, this is verse 31, but seek the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. This is like Matthew six forty-four. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added what you're going to eat what you're going to drink what you're going to wear is the context. So God says, if you'll be about my business, if you'll seek the kingdom and my righteousness and righteousness, if you be about my business, I'll be about yours. Way too many Christians are not about God's business at all. You you're you're not thinking, "Lord, I give you this week. I want to be about the kingdom's business. Open up a door for me to share. Open up let me plant a seed." Let me water a seed that may already be there. Let me live my life for you. Let me delight in you this week. Help me to walk in the Spirit so I won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Just the way that we walk. And as we walk in those ways, God's like, okay, you're taking care of my business. I'll take care of your business. But if you're just taking care of your business, I have a feeling God just goes, okay, go ahead. If you think, you know, you can do it better, I've given you the option to walk by taking care of the business of the kingdom of God. Now, the final thing that he says is to stack up treasure in heaven. We may stack up treasure here on Earth. We may be really worried about our IRAs, especially as we grow older. Our IRAs, our 401Ks, 403Bs, we're just worried about them. And here's what Jesus says. Do not fear little flock. When Jesus uses the term little flock here, he was talking about birds earlier, but he's not talking about birds now. He's talking about Sheep, right, a flock of sheep. And he's hearkening back to Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Which means all of your needs will be taken care of. I heard one preacher say, see there, we get all of our wants. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I'm not going to want for anything. It's like you are twisting scripture, buddy. You need a lesson on Hebrew and how Hebrew is read. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want means that you're going to have all your needs met. He leads me beside still waters. He lays us down in green pastures. His rod and staff, they comfort us. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God is with me. It's a great passage. And Jesus, I think, hearkens to it as he's talking about God taking care of you. Don't fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God wants to give you everything. And it's his good pleasure, to. He wants to give it to you. He's not reluctantly giving it to you. He's not going, you don't deserve this, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. It is his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourself money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there is your heart also. So he's saying, Look, the Bible doesn't tell us that we are those who are rich to sell what they have. It it says, tell those who are rich not to trust in the uncertainty of riches and be willing to share. Jesus is talking to all of us, whether we have a little bit or a lot, that we would invest in the poor. The Bible says, he who gives to the poor lends to God and God will repay him. It ought to be, for all of us Christians, it ought to be part of what we do. We ought to, Lord, show me how I can help those who are poor. We ought to invest in the kingdom of God through a church that's doing the work effectively and through parachurch organizations. Like a couple of them that I like, I like Compassion International. I love them ministering to children around the world that are in third world countries that are in need. And we can adopt one of those children and we can write letters back and forth to them. It's incredibly, an incredibly good organization. And the majority of the money that you give goes to that child. The vast majority of it. Um, Samaritan's Purse is another one that I love. Not only do they reach around the world to help third world children, but they also are first on the scene during disasters. This is Franklin Graham's organization. I'm just giving you some ideas. You can pray and seek and and feel what really strikes your heart that you want to be involved in. But no matter what you want to give, even if you don't have much, even if you're struggling, still give. Invest in the kingdom of heaven. Because Jesus said where your treasure is, your heart is. If you're not investing in the kingdom of heaven, your heart's not going to be there. If you're not investing in helping the poor and helping the impoverished in the world, then your heart's not going to be there. So we want our heart to be in heaven and not here on earth with our stuff. All right. Now, I have a a closing thought. How much time do I have? Not much. Two minutes. All right. I got a closing thought. So Jesus said, oh, you of little faith in the middle of this teaching and It hearkens to another passage where Jesus says the same thing and that is where he walks on the water his disciples go he sends them over go to the other side and he goes up to a mountain to pray when he's up on that mountain he sees them down struggling against the water but they don't quit they've learned when Jesus says go to the other side they're not gonna go under so they're gonna keep going until they get through it and they are gonna get through it they're not quitting this time they did before but now they're not so Jesus intends to walk by the Bible says that he came to them walking on the water intending to walk by. And if you wonder what Jesus walking on the water is, and we're gonna get, we'll have a whole study on it. There's a a passage in the Old Testament that uses the name of God. It's the Tetragrammaton, the Yahweh or Jehovah. We've lost the pronunciation to it. It's Y-H-W-H in Hebrew. It's called the Tetragrammaton. It's the name of the Lord. The Old Testament says, it is the Lord who walks on the waves. It is Yahweh who walks on the waves. And why did Jesus walk on the water? Little nod and revelation to who he is. It is Yahweh who walks on the waves. So they see him and they freak out and scream, right? It's a ghost. I don't know what they meant by ghost, okay? It's a ghost, ah! And Jesus says, don't fear, it's me. And Peter says, if it's you, then let me come to you on the water. And so Jesus says, come on, Peter. And Peter gets out of the boat and walks on the water. Which is pretty amazing. I was watching the movie I Am Legend with Will Smith. And there's one point in that movie where he says, um, only one man ever walked on the water. And I talk to the TV sometimes. No, two, (laughs) two. Peter walked on the water too. Don't forget about Peter. But as Peter stepped on the water and started walking towards Jesus, the Bible says that he looked at the wind and the waves and he began to sink. So what happened to him? He got fearful of the circumstances. It's a storm. It's not a calm night when he's walking on the water. So he gets fearful of the circumstances and doesn't trust in God. So Jesus rescues him. He cries out, Lord, help. Shortest prayer and all the Bible. Lord, help. Grabs him and says, get back in the boat. Oh, you of little faith. Which is like, wait a minute, Jesus. Peter just walked on the water. If he was a modern day coach, because in modern day coaching, you don't say anything negative to your players. You only say positive. So if he were a modern day coach, he would go, good job, Peter. You walked on water. You're the only other guy to ever do it. Got a little secret. You're the only guy that's ever going to do it besides me. And you walked on water. Good job, Peter. But instead he goes, oh, you have little faith. Because he could have trusted in Christ and not looked at the wind and the waves. He could have kept his eyes on Jesus and trusted in him. And he would have been able to walk all the way out to him. And so it's the wind and the waves when we're distracted that we, the anxiety enters into our lives when we are no longer looking at Christ but we are looking at the circumstances. Lord, help us to keep our eyes on you. Help us to take these many passages, and I hope you've taken some notes. The good news is you can go back and you can you know, kind of scrub through this and get the scriptures out of it. They're good scriptures to memorize. They're good scriptures to, to pray over when you're, when you're feeling anxious, because God's word tells us that God's gonna deliver you and give you his peace, all right? Stand with me, would you, and let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the richness of your word and how much we learn here. We thank you that you care about us, you value us, that you said that you are our father and if we're about your business, you'll be about ours. Help us to delight in you this week. Help us to abide in Christ this week. Help us to walk in the spirit so that we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And may you work day by day inside of us, the inner man being renewed day by day. We thank you for this in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'd like you to keep your heads bowed, please, and your eyes closed. I'm also gonna ask that no one would leave early. We're almost done. This will not take a long time and I'll dismiss you. But I wanna talk to those of you who may be young here today. You've got your whole life in front of you and you today can be born again. You could find out what life is really about and the plan and the purpose that God's given you. I received the Lord when I was almost 14 years old and I can tell you that my life changed radically when I did. I also walked away from Him when I was 18 and came back to Him when I was 19. God brought me back. He left in 99. He came after me. And that God transformed my life, too, when I came back at 19. And if you're older and you're here today and you're thinking, well, gosh, yeah, I'm I'm not young anymore. But our God is the God who restores the years the locusts have eaten. And our God can use you today, no matter how old you are. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose for your life. And God knew from before before the foundations of the earth that this would be your day of glory, the day you would say, I want to live for Christ. I want to be born again. I need my spirit quickened to life because only through truth and spirit can you worship him. So if you're here today and you would like to give your life to Christ, every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm just gonna ask you to do something simple. Right where you are, just raise your hand. By raising your hand, you're letting me know that you're ready to give your life to Christ. God bless you down here. That's great. God bless you in the back underneath the balcony, sir. God bless you, ma'am. That's awesome. God bless you, ma'am. That's great. Just raise your hand now. God bless you in the back, sir. That's awesome. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart. God bless you, sir. Down next to the balcony there, bottom floor. Just raise your hand if you're up in the balcony in the back we'll make sure you lift it up high so I can see it God bless you sir there in the front of the balcony and anyone else I'm just gonna scan the room one more time just to make sure I haven't missed anybody but if I did miss your hand know that God sees it he knows your heart God bless you all right you could put your hands down and I would like everyone and also those of you who are online if you want to give your life to Christ just respond to him It's not raising your hand that saves you. It's not praying a prayer that saves you. It's you surrendering your life to him and inviting him in. And he will respond to that and come in. It's God that drew you. If you're also listening on Reach Radio, then as well, we're giving people, this is a live service. We're giving people a chance right now to receive Jesus and you can do it as well. So I would like everyone, including those who raise their hands to repeat this prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess that I've sinned and I know my sin separates me from you. I also understand that I can be forgiven by the death of Jesus on the cross. So I invite you into my life and I turn from my sin that I can live for you in the name of Jesus. Amen.